What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bomb City Locker Room Talk Podcast. You're listening to episode 47. As always, I'm James. I'm Jared Scott, and we have a special guest with us tonight. Uh, the individual with us is a former Emerald Police Department officer. Uh, he's a former uh, United States Army sergeant, uh, former uh, basketball coach, former school administrator, and my father, Steve Scott. Welcome, Welcome Mr. Thanks, Scott. Thanks a lot, guys. Steve, <laughs> Steve, please. Steve. Yes. No Sergeant Scott, no officer, no coach. Just Steve now. Okay. Well, Steve, Steve dad, 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 grand, grandpa, dad for you. grandpa, dad for you. Uh, you know, husband. Yeah, thanks huge, for joining us. Huge pain for people. No, thanks, man. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit earlier, kind of our initial um, inspiration for wanting to have you on was is james is a is a big true crime buff okay uh james really enjoys um a lot of the 70s 80s murder mystery that kind of happened in amarillo and it just so happens that uh during that time kind of at not really the peak but someone could say the peak 80s of amarillo um crime on the boulevard you were uh, essentially a beat cop yeah for lack of a better term right can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah i uh Nowadays, you have to be 21 to be a cop, but back when I joined the department in 1980, I was only 19. I wasn't old enough to buy bullets. Mom had to buy me bullets. Wow. <laughs> so when I, when I graduated the academy, I was 19 years old, and then I was I worked at Emerald Boulevard uh, on day shifts, and then I left the PD, then I came back and worked uh, east side midnights, and then because I was a good softball player, I got to go to the north side midnights because most of the softball players were on midnights. <laughs> we're up on north. the north side. Well, the Ch- Chief Neal played with us. Well, we played all over town. All we over. played tournaments in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Santa Fe. We were at T. Miller Records uh, was our sponsor, so they paid for everything. So uh, not only were we good cops, but we were great softball players. So was it like a specific police league that you were in, or was it just like a general softball league at the time? The tournaments we played in were law enforcement tournaments. Okay. Like we, we got our butts kicked in, in Phoenix by a bunch of – their, their name of their team was called the Phoenix Whores. They were a bunch of <laughs> they were a bunch of narcotics and uh, and vice cops, and they were really good. But no, but we played this city league in Emerald, and, and we won it all the time. So it was cool. You played the softball league for a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did uh, in my twenties a lot, and it, after a while, it just got kind of tiring with how competitive a lot of those guys were, and they just kept getting younger and younger, and. I just got tired of it after a while. Funny how that happens. You get older. Everybody else gets younger and younger. And the fights and all that stuff is just not for me anymore. That was one thing that kind of surprised me. You know, I didn't play. I played like a couple of years. We did co-ed just as kind of a fun deal. But I was surprised to see how many fights broke out around softball. Of course, everyone's drunk the majority of the time. Were they still drunk in the 80s? Nobody wanted to fight the police team. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good point. I can see that. I can imagine that. We had zero problems. Zero problems, especially when we played up in the Heights. Interesting. See, and I would think maybe it's just the maybe it's just the culture now, where you know I would imagine now if it was a, a team full of cops, they get a little bit of hazing. Yeah, nowadays a little different, right? Yeah. Just back back then, folks. Uh, of course, everybody, like you said, was ultra competitive and things like that. But we just played ball because when you grew up in the '60s and '70s, you played ball. Everybody played ball, mm-hmm. so you just continued that. And there wasn't all this trash talk and stuff you see from the NBA and NFL. No, you just you just played ball and you played hard. And if you knock people down, great. Then you helped them up. So it was cool. That's what's missing is the the help them up side of it. Yeah, the sportsmanship. There's there's yeah. very little sportsmanship in pro sports, in my opinion. Right. I mean, they're cultivated in a generation where it wasn't as big, I guess. 
prior to you know the generation that came before them would you th- would you say that's attributed to maybe how they approach and treat the game now uh now everybody has to be successful and back then if you got there was no run rule if you got beat 40 to nothing you got beat 40 to nothing you didn't gripe about it and call yeah. your mom and crap like that so uh no you know you just you just that's just the way it was you uh you played ball and you played hard and then you went to work and you know, of course, there was no social media, no, no podcast, no yeah. nothing, <laughs> nothing to <laughs> vent about. But yeah. you know, you just you just got after it and enjoyed life, and it was a, a lot better time probably than than you two guys are growing up in, and my grandchildren are growing up in. But uh, you know, things are things are going to be great, and uh, that's just the way it was. Yeah. See, I feel like our generation was really the start of the part, the participation trophy, the crybaby no, era. No, Cause, no, no, because if you screwed up. That time the sheriff came and talked to me about you. <laughs> okay, you got so, your, you got your butt beat. I, that is true. That is true. James, did, did Jared tell you this, James? No, oh, he, he hasn't. I, I'm I'm eager to hear. I'm this. in the middle of practice. <laughs> middle of best. It, it's the year we won state, and uh, sheriff comes and gets me. A good friend of mine, a kid I grew up with, said, "And he talked to you about your son. What happened? He mooned the inmates." <laughs> That, that that sounds like Jared. You know, we were, little Jared. We were. Yeah. Jared was yeah. like 10, 11 years old. Yeah. yeah. And the, Jared's excuse was my excuse was is we were walking to a friend's house and I had video games in my in sixty four cartridges. Yeah. In my pockets, uh, and I bent over to tie my shoe and my pants fell. And I still to this day, you know, they said they had it on video. They didn't have it on video. There were no videos. There was no video. That's a good story, though. It's actually believable in a way. I, no, no, Jared mooned him. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it. There's no escaping it now. I think the the statute of limitation has ended. I I mooned the shit out of those guys. They were they were trustees. They were out washing the cars, and and we were just like, I think we were walking past like the Farwell Baptist Church as well, and I was just like, hey, watch this. I think I was watching or walking with like Michael. Did you get the reaction you wanted? Uh, no, no, because no. a block later, uh, you know, the cop car comes and picks me up and says, what are you boys doing? And then get in. And he was a young cop. It wasn't Randy. Randy wasn't the... Was one of his, Randy was sheriff then. Was he sheriff at the time? Yeah, he's still sheriff, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. been there. Sheriff of Palmer County is a great guy. Yeah, good great guy. guy. Randy Geary's. Great guy. Um, so you guys, you guys have lived in many different towns and cities in the Panhandle. Uh, where were you born? I was born in Freona and then grew up basically in Farwell. And then uh, uh, Jared's grandpa and my dad got a superintendent's job, and so we moved to Headley where I graduated high school. Um, and then the kids have lived in uh, Wheeler, Farwell. Of course, Jared graduated from Idaloo. They lived in Germany for three years when I was stationed overseas. So, And then Jared's lived in Lubbock a little bit when he's going to school. And So, yeah, we've, we've, been, we've been around. Yeah. 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 And really just, I mean, really the the Texas Panhandle more than anything mm-hmm. else. You know, Idaloo, that's technically the South Plains. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I remember since Dad was a coach, especially at Farwell at the time, I was a little bit older, but I remember being able to basically tell my way when we from Farwell to almost any little bitty town in the Panhandle. I could I could navigate. Yeah, and get I bet. To. I, didn't need, I didn't need a map. No. It, was just, it was just we went to, you know, like Morton, Texas. I was in Morton, Texas probably 30 times. Man, I, I wish I would have grown up in a small town. It's different. It's, I, it's, it's very I've heard different. it's very different. Slower. Everybody knows each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then since I had grown up in Farwell and then 20 years later came back to coach there, and you just, you know, you knew everybody. And, of course, now you go there and I don't know anybody. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was – the kids moved around a lot, and uh, Wheeler was a great place. Wheeler was awesome. 
And uh, Farwell, of course, was tremendous. Adelaide was a great school where Jared graduated high school at. Mm-hmm. And uh, good times, good times. Yeah. I, I would say um, of all the places that we lived, Farwell seemed like the most – not necessarily normal, and maybe it was just because of the amount of time that I spent there versus others. It seemed like more of uh, what I would imagine small town living to be, and just in terms. What's of the population there? Oh God, it's like twelve hundred people. Twelve hundred. Yeah. yeah, we had like twenty six people in my class. I've never been to Farwell. Yeah, have you ever been to Clovis? Yes. You've driven through Farwell. Farwell sits right on the the borderline of the Texas to Mexico border. Okay. And really, it's. I mean, it's it's two separate towns: Texaco, uh, New Mexico, and Farwell, Texas. But it's 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 one town. It's just separated by a by a state line. By gotcha. railroad tracks. By railroad tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Which that was an excuse I used a few times. It never worked. Never once worked. Where you know you'd be twenty minutes late from curfew and say, "Well, I got stuck on the other side of the trail railroad tracks. I couldn't cross." Or show up an hour late and say, "I was on New Mexico time. I, I got switched <laughs> up." That shit never worked. No. <laughs> it never worked. Um, but so getting back to eighties. Yeah. 80s in Amarillo, Texas. Um, one of the stories that you told, and I want you to, to take the point, was when you had a call to the Crystal Pistol. And, oh man! <laughs> and for uh, those I've got, of you, I've got a story those about you, that place. Those of you young, uh, younger viewers in our um, our fan base in Lebanon don't know this, <laughs> uh, but the Crystal Pistol was a strip club in the 80s, right? The Crystal Pistol was the strip club. The strip club. 907 Amarillo Boulevard East. I still remember the address. The guy that owned it. Also owned uh, Fillmore Street Cleaners, and he cleaned all the police department uniforms, and he owned it. So, but hold on, hold on, wait a second. So yeah. the, the guy that owned the strip club back in the '80s also had a little original business where he cleaned all the cops' uniforms. Yeah, and that place is still in business, isn't no, it? No, the Crystal Pistol shut down. No, the no, Fillmore the, Cleaners. Fillmore yeah, Cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish they Crystal they Pistol they was tore down open. the Crystal Pistol last yeah. year or the year before. It was, yeah, it's been a couple of years. Yeah. I feel like. Sad, know. sad times. But yeah. no, the Crystal Pistol, of course, the Paramount Club, Northeast Third and Osage was a great bar everybody went to. Uh, but part of our job is, is, as street cops, whatever, you know, regular patrols, is you tried to go into bars that had all the problems as much as you could. Just it's called bar checks. You'd check out, walk around. You got to know the strippers. You got to know the hookers. You got to know the guys behind the bar, the owners. And you just, oh, for lack of a better word, it just, took care of a lot of things before they took place. Mm, you, you made your presence known. Yeah, and, and, and it was it was and it was it was great and uh, you know everybody had to make a living. Strippers had to make a living, prostitutes had to make a living, you know, uh, all the bad things that went on up on the boulevard of course was unfortunate and still is unfortunate and should never have taken place, but that's the way life was. So but uh, I don't know what story Jared's talking about to Crystal Pistol. It involved an ice pick. Oh, yeah. We go in there one night, and I'm a training officer, and I've got a, a recruit with me, and and um, this guy just knocks the crap out of his girlfriend. I mean, just hits her hard, and they're both kind of drunk. and So we uh, we only use such force necessary to affect the rest, to put him in control, because that's what you're supposed to say if it ever went to court. And uh, his wife, girlfriend, whatever she was, didn't like it. She reached behind the bar, and I always wore my vest. Uh, back then you always wore your, your bulletproof vest and she grabbed an ice pick behind the bar and stabbed me right above the vest oh. so that that hurt <laughs> and, and I knocked her out but uh, anyway they both went to jail so it was cool man that has to I mean was that you were never you were never shot 
No, never. But, never but you got, were, got shot at. Got shot at. Yeah. But I don't think they knew I was there. I think they were shooting at two houses were shooting each other, and I was stupid enough to drive in between them. Oh, that makes with sense. my lights off, and so <laughs> I got shot at. It's easier to say I got shot at, but I don't think they knew the five O was there. Oh, okay. Okay. God, I would not want to get stabbed by an ice pick. I feel like that would be way worse than a bullet. Uh, <gasps> no, I think I think bullets bullets are pretty bad. I think I'd rather be stabbed by a knife than an ice pick, though. I mean, that just can't. I'm imagining just coming out. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Bullet just you know go through unless unless it bounces around in your body, hits yeah. a bone. Yeah, that's true. That, that's not good. It was just one of those one of those things you remember the rest of your life. Yeah. So it was so, so it was cool. Was Tyler around at the time that you were stabbed? Tyler was a baby because I worked midnights and he would always wake me up during the daytime sleeping mm-hmm. with a Carmex bottle and he just hit me with it. <laughs> Dad, time to get up. Of course, I worked midnights. Worked with great guys. Um, so that was just, but the boulevard was a different place. Uh, there were lots of, of course, strip clubs up north. Uh, of course, drugs were rampant. Crime was, you know, sometimes we would we would go on duty and dispatch would have calls waiting for you, and you didn't do anything but work till four, five, six a.m. hard, answering call after call after call. And uh, that was just a different time and place until uh, some city leaders or or the churches, and they, they all decided they'd shut down the the porno stores and the, the adult bookstores. Mm-hmm. They wanted to shut down prostitution. They thought it was evil. And it is evil. It's, it's not supposed to be good. But they tried to really shut down all the sex trade on the boulevard and, and through Amarillo. And when they did that, it ended the outlet some of these perverts had. You know, they'd go in the adult bookstores and beat each other off or whatever. Yeah. And, and they'd get that sexual frustration out. And, and nothing is good, and, and of course you hear all this stuff going on today, and you know all these things that are just horrible to think of, but they happen, and there's evil out there. But when they shut all that down, there was a, a huge increase in in, uh, in family violence. You know, sex crimes went out of this world because there was no outlet anymore. They couldn't pick up a prostitute and go do whatever they decided to do to, to make their life happy. So all that frustration uh, kind of turned evil mm-hmm. uh, because then it was it, they had an outlet and, and folks that had an outlet you know ever since Cleopatra I guess I don't know times like that so it was a it was a it was a different time you know there were no body cameras there was no uh, you know you didn't have a, a computer in your car you didn't have a map sometimes a dispatcher would have to tell you how to get to where you were going to go because you couldn't look at your map and drive and now it's all you know digital GPS and things right. like that so you know but it was a it was a great time and uh and uh, made a lot of good friends that that were criminals. You know, you'd you'd, you'd work with particular. Uh, I wish I could say their names, but I probably can't. But you know, some of these girls would be prostitutes on the boulevard, and they'd get arrested for drugs or whatever, and go to jail. They'd do their three or four months, whatever, and come back out, and they looked great. You know, they'd cleaned up, they'd, they'd got their lives back together, and it wouldn't take you know two or three weeks, and and they were back to looking like drug addicts. You know, strung wow. out on heroin. Heroin was a big big problem. It wasn't really a big deal with meth. Uh, of course, marijuana was horrible. Cocaine was all over the place. Um, that was just the '80s. That was just the time of the '80s. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. There, I mean, there were speed. There were there were you know bennies and pills, all this kind of stuff for folks used. But uh, heroin was getting bad, and, and you could you could see it. Of course, a lot of these people that that were in prostitution, whether they were a man in prostitution or a woman in prostitution, was just to support their drug habit. That's the only way they could make a living. When would you say the boulevard first 
became the outlet for people to indulge in those type of things. In what decade or era did, did that the boulevard start going down well, you know, that I, road? I hate to say this because I was in the military for several years, but, you know, when the Air Force base was here, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the boulevard, the Cattlemen's Club, Boulevard and Grand, and all these kind of things where folks from all over came to, but that's just attracted everybody. And anytime there's a military base, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be prostitutes and there's going to be things going on. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure through the late 60s, 70s, it really got bad. The 80s were really bad. And then towards the latter part of the 80s into the first part of the 90s, I think it kind of, I think policing did a lot better job taking care of things. I think officers are tremendously trained a lot better. But, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. So, Because uh, at one time it was, you know, part of Route 66, beautiful oh, yeah. Yeah. businesses all through the boulevard and, and yeah, there hotels, were, there were motels. Great, there were great motels that had fountains in them i can't remember there was one three or four blocks down from the crystal pistol i can't remember the name of it but it was still there and it was boarded up but you go into it and you felt like you were walking into a hotel in vegas i mean there were chandeliers and everything was opulent but then uh you know the 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 bad side of things happen and when evil takes over it's hard to ever get rid of that's why you know you guys that are teachers and coaches and future administrators jared's administrator now you're getting your master's from ou all this kind of good stuff um, if you ever start to lose control of something, you never get it back. That's why, you know, the teachers and, and that, well, I just, you know, screwed up in class once. Well, once you start to screw up, you're screwed up. It's hard to ever recover. You have to stay on top. Like Canadians football team, you know, they don't give their kids a break. Uh, you know, the, the reason they're the best is because they're some of the best and they demand it. Their community demands it. If your community doesn't man, demand something, you know, like your guys' jobs that you all have right now, you're just screwed if you ever start to let things slip. And once you start to let things slip, it's hard to ever get them back. Yeah. So, so just the way it is. Continuous cycle that's hard to get out of. Human nature. Yep. If there's human being involved, don't be freaking surprised. God, isn't that the base understatement <laughs> in the world? Yeah. Um, and so one of the one of the big cases um, in the 80s uh, that you were not necessarily a part of, but you were exposed to, you had a, I believe you were there on the scene, was the Johnny Frank Garrett case. Uh, do you remember that night? Do you remember that call? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I, I know James getting antsy over here waiting to hear about this. <laughs> well, y'all probably know more about it. As, as just a regular street cop, if you got called to something like that, unless you were really involved in the arrest, you, you basically just directed traffic or you wrote down who all come onto a crime scene because you had you kept meticulous records of who entered, who exited uh, for evidentiary purposes. But uh, there was a lot of crimes like Johnny Frank Garrett. And, of course, where it happened up there, you know, there's a, uh, oh, I forget what it's called now, where nuns live. The convent? The convent. We called it a nunnery. Sorry. <laughs> I've called it that a few times. Sorry. <laughs> a, nunner, Sorry. a nunnery? I mean, yeah. I guess it makes sense. A nunnery. A nunnery. I, think it, I think it's an appropriate term. Yeah. I, I don't it's think it's a derogatory used. term. Well, you know, growing up Baptist, you didn't know anything about Catholics. That is true. Yeah. I, I But until Kaylin, I didn't know anything about about Catholics. I didn't either. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but... It wasn't just Johnny Frank Garrett. There was Christopher Hawkins, the traveling rapist, you know, that was recognized because a lady finally, you know, he nearly killed everybody. But one lady remembered he had one eye blue. Mm. A lady from Hereford, I think, or something. And that's how they were able to catch him. But there are a lot of those serial rapists. And um, when Amarillo was at its heyday up north and, and things were tough, that's just the way it was. And uh, But the Johnny Frank Garrett case was just pure evil. And, you know, like we saw in Colorado this past couple of days, and there is pure evil out there. And when somebody goes after somebody in a sexual fashion, 
you know, there's several types of rapists. And if you read about this, Diane Bosch, of course, has passed away. She was a great Amarillo police officer and a city councilman. But she started Women Against Rape. And there's several types of rapists. There's a rapist that's going to just want to rape you. There's a rapist that wants to rape you just to have power over you. And then there's a sadistic rapist that's angry at his mother or whatever. And he's going to kill you. There's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. Mm. So if you can determine if something like that bad happens to you, if you can kind of figure out what type of person this is. But, you know, these people were just evil and just sadistic. And uh, whether they were on drugs, uh, out of their mind, I think they're just evil people out there. And that's just the way it is. So was like Lubbock the same way in the 80s, or was this kind of just more exclusive? Because obviously Amarillo is going to be the hub. Because right, yeah, and right before Johnny Frank Garrett, there was a Kelly J. Pinkerton yeah, murder as Kelly well. Kelly J. Pinkerton, was, and, and I remember that extremely well because I remember the officer that run his butt down and arrested him one night. But uh, Amarillo, having 287 and I-40 going through town, you got the worst of the worst. Lubbock, I'm sure Lubbock had horrible things happen, but it's a college town. You know, you got 40,000 Texas Tech kids yeah. that yeah. all they want to do is throw tortillas. <laughs> right. so, uh, but, but Amarillo has that part of the the drug corridor and things like that that caused it uh, uh, to be just a little more evil, in my opinion. Wow. So you mentioned the Johnny Frank Garrett. Yeah. Let's let's sure talk ahead. about that for a minute. That was a huge homicide that happened in Amarillo at the time because it was in a newer development, this actual neighborhood. Right. And uh, the way that he mutilated her and got away and I think he was tracked down that same night and let go. They questioned him and everything. It's just a, it, it's a bizarre murder and he was only a teenager. Same as Johnny Frank Garrett. Yeah. So at the same time in Amarillo, you had two serial murderers on the loose in Amarillo that were teenagers. I mean, it, it was a crazy time. I can only imagine how Amarillo was during that time. Well, folks were scared, but some of the things, if you read about this, these guys showed these tendencies at a younger age. You know, Jay Kelly Pinkerton would steal women's underwear. You know, then it progressed, it progressed. Johnny Frank Garrett, same thing. There were fetishes and things that just are abnormal that um, if your parents are alcoholics or whatever and don't care about you and let you run around town 12 years old, 13 years old all the time, then those fetishes, those evil things are going to progress because it's just like a drug addict. Once they get that high, the reason they stay an addict, they always want that high to come again, and it is never as good as the original high. Once somebody kills a dog, well, then they want to kill something else or they want to cut something up. And it just progresses till it uh, it becomes, uh, I keep using the term, just pure evil. And I think uh, Pinkerton was an apprentice butcher, too. And I think that had something to do with his fascination with yeah. knives and I forgot about the that. mutilations or and things like that. Or why he got into being a butcher's apprentice to begin with. Is the right. Most, yeah, just fulfilling that. Fulfilling that fetish and that urge. Yeah. Yeah, and... You know, and back then, folks, uh, everybody worked. During that time, both households started working a lot. The husband worked, the wife worked. And so a lot of people were left on their own. And, uh, of course, there wasn't, you know, videos to watch and things like that. You know, but, uh, but, but evil will find a way, and unfortunately it happens. So one of the one of the stories that you told, and this this could have been something that you just completely made up and told when we were kids to scare us. Okay. Uh, but was the the tale of the bloody fingers? True story. True story. True story. Can you can you rehash what you remember? Yeah, I told you we were gonna get it because this is oh, this man. is one thing I think I've told it before to these guys. 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm sure I've changed it originally, but it was it was like a snowy day. Yeah, it was real cold and, up on the boulevard. We get a call to a lady's house. Somebody's trying to bring in her back in her back door. I can't remember it was. It wasn't far from Paladar High School, and uh, so northeast Fifteenth and Grant, somewhere around there, Lincoln. And um, this lady, somebody's tried to break in her back door, break in her back door. So we walk around. It's cold. God, it's cold. And uh, there's blood on the back door. And uh, there's blood all over the backyard. And so, and then we see a couple of appendages laying on the ground. So we start following the blood. We track it down to a dumpster. The blood leads up to a dumpster. The dumpster lid's closed. And for probably, it probably wasn't more than five minutes, but none of us wanted to open the dumpster. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we're, I you know, don't blame you. Yeah, no. you know, we're carrying three fifty-seven magnums and forty-one magnums. This is before everybody carried pistols, and they were all carrying revolvers. And, and of course, we're these brave boys in blue. But nobody wanted to open the dumpster. Sure enough, we opened the dumpster. The guy had crawled in there. He'd gotten drunk. Something had happened. He was just trying to get help. But uh, yeah, that was. I still remember that. I still have nightmares over that. But we didn't want to open the dumpster. Look inside, and I don't remember who did. I don't think it was me. <laughs> I was too scared. I don't think I'd open the dumpster. I mean, I think I think I'd call somebody else in and just be like, "Hey, we got a we got a rabid raccoon in there or something." So I gotta ask, how many fingers did she cut off? Uh, it was a guy. It was a dude, and it, there were there were one and a half fingers that we found laying on the ground. Yeah. Oh, gross. Yeah, and you know, you're just it's a cold night. I mean, cold. So you didn't want to be there in the first place, and and uh, it's just it's just one of those stories. True story. Yeah. See, and over over time, it's turned in for me where it was it was an, it was an older woman. It was snowing outside. Uh, he actually made his way inside, and that that's when you all found the first finger, and it was a trail of blood and a trail of fingers and stuff like that. But I re- I remember I have no I, recollection I that. of that. <laughs> except that could have been it could have just been my imagination. Except trying to scare you and Tyler. Yeah. Oh God, that one worked. I I, I still have nightmares. I'd be about scared that of that one. one. Yeah. That was a good one. No, but it's it's uh, you know, again, it's just. You know, it's like our, Jared's grandpa, my dad, was a great coach and a school superintendent, and he's still – dad's 87 years old, and he still umpires baseball games. Yeah. You can't hear anybody yell at him to tell him he sucks because <laughs> he can't hear. Yeah. But, you know, he, he plays golf two or three days a week. He, he umpires baseball games. But, you know, dad was a cop in Plainview when he came back from the Army to finish his degree at Wayland. And, you know, just the same kind of story. So it, it kind of was in the family, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and an interesting story about except none of us mooned inmates. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, I'll, I'll take pride in that. I take pride in that. That was a good, that, was a, that was a good time. Yep. It's probably why you became a good teacher. It probably was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I remember a story that, um, grandpa's, I don't actually don't know if grandpa has told or that you have, uh, when he was, when he was a cop and he was practicing his quick draw. Yeah. He shot the, he shot the locker room in Wayland right, at Plainview. <laughs> Plainview Police Department, Dad was working on his quick draw and uh, put a hole through his locker. <laughs> wow. True story. See, that's, that's I just guess. good. I guess. It's a yeah. true story. Yeah. And so the you you um, you currently have uh, one, of, one of the firearms that you have. Is that your actual service revolver from when you were a cop at APDU? Yeah. I have a Model 66, 357. Uh, still have it. It's probably the only – it cost 187 bucks. Crazy. Now it costs like nine hundred. Oh yeah. Oh, at least. Oh yeah. So uh, or in, in the shape that it's in, because it's in it's in amazing shape. Yeah, impeccable shape. And that's yeah. what everyone carried then. Everyone carried three fifty sevens, and then they would let you carry forty one magnums also. And then they slowly started phasing in, you know, nine millimeters and, and pistols. But revolver was a thing. You know, you had six rounds in and twelve rounds on your belt, and you, you had uh, a shotgun in the patrol car. 
Uh, first round out was always a slug because probably you were going to shoot at a car. Next one out was double lock buck in case you had to shoot at a person. Uh, fortunately, we never had to do any of that, or I didn't at least. But, uh, but yeah, nearly everybody, uh, that was the standard. You know, at first it was a thirty-eight revolver, the old Highway Patrol Special. And uh, I still have it to this day, and, and I don't know which boy will get it when I die. They're going to have to fight for it. Oh, wait, oh, we'll fight for it. He'll lose. He's too short. It's about all I got. One of them could have my purple heart, and the other one could have my revolver. Oh, I'll take the purple heart then. Okay. Tyler can have the revolver. Um, so did you did you have, like, did you carry a backup weapon as well, or was it? Was I had it a little just... Charter Arms 38 that okay. I would keep on my okay. boot, and then I had, a, uh, I, had a, I had a boot knife that I would keep in the other boot. Were you, did you just, was it loose rounds or did you have your other, your other 12 on like little moon clips or whatever it was? No, they were speed loaders. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Speed loaders. What model and type of car did APD use back then? Uh, we drove Crown Vicks, old Crown Vicks, uh, some Chevy Impalas. There were a few, believe it or not, Dodge Cornettes, that, especially if you were a rookie or something, you always got the crappiest car. That sounds like a pretty crap. Uh, it sounds bad. Cornette? Yeah. Cornet, Dodge Cornet. Dodge Cornet. Yeah, these guys that were detectives. I know you, you talked about Walt Yeager and things like that, and those guys were awesome. But, yeah, you know, you you didn't uh, – there wasn't – you know, you had to – you had to <laughs> you see, you had four channels on the radio. South side had a channel. South and west side had channels. North and east side had a channel. You had a channel where you could talk to the desk, where you could run you tag numbers, 27, 29, people to find out if they wanted, or registration checks. And then you had a channel where you could talk car to car. And now, you know, there's all sorts. And I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff. But, yeah, it, it was a different time. You think it would be easier, no to, cell phones. easier to be a cop back then than it would be now? Or, I mean, obviously, it's it's not as easy a parallel as, as, as black and white. But, you know, I've got some good friends that are Amarillo police officers now. Some of their wives I've hired as teachers and coaches, and I've got to know them. One's a motorcycle officer. And I think their jobs have gotten more dangerous and more complicated. Of course, they're paid a lot better. Yeah. Uh, teachers are paid a lot better. You guys are paid better. None of you are paid enough. But uh, but I think I think the job has become a lot more complicated. Uh, I think they're better prepared. They're better trained. They're better. Uh, uh, they get to grow beards. I guess that's pretty cool. But uh, that's relatively new, isn't it? I yeah. think so. Yeah. What yeah, was, I mean, a, we, what was we, a protocol we back then? Back then, you, you couldn't grow a beard. If you had to have a mustache, it, it had to be trimmed, kind of like military mustaches. It couldn't extend below the side of your, your mouth and, and things like that. But, you know, we wore the wool uniforms, black cowboy boots. Um, if you got out of the patrol car, you had to have the hat on. You know, now these guys look like they're G.I. Joe. You know, they've got tactical vest on and mm-hmm. combat boots. And, and I don't really blame them for, for that. They're, they're very well protected. Mm-hmm. Because if a guy shot at you, he's going to shoot at you with a little thirty two or – you know, yeah. a little 25 automatic, they bought it, you know, TGNY or Kmart. So, uh, oh gosh, I haven't seen a little 25 auto in a long time. Yeah. Just little palm guns. Yeah. I mean, really, little Could, Phoenix arms or you, something? Charter arms. Charter Phoenix, arms. Phoenix yeah. arms. Yeah. But no, I think, uh, I think the boys in blue and the ladies in blue, I think, are a lot, a lot better. It's just like teachers. I think teachers are better trained. Not that college taught them anything, but I think, I think your generation is so much smarter when it comes to kids uh, and, and how they learn and, and how to teach and, and all these kind of things. I, I think we're, we're, and I have, I'm fixing to have my 10th grandkid when Jared and Cut in have this, have, have this new little baby, Stevie. Rabbi. Stevie. <laughs> this, this Still arguing be, over the name, huh? Well, it's, it's, you know, I'll, I'll mention to Kaylin though, Stevie is cause I like that. Abigail Stevie is a middle name. No, y'all I like, but 
you know, Vicky and I'm, my Vicky's my second wife, and she has uh, she has eight, seven grandkids, and uh, and I think they're part of me too now. But you know, these kids are so much smarter. I've got a I've got an eighth grade granddaughter that does everything experiment and scored a 21 on her seventh grade ACT. She took ACT as a seventh grader, the ACT test, and made a 21. Wow. Wow. You know, the kids never had college algebra, never had physics, never had chemistry, and she's a great athlete. But so I think somebody's doing a good job teaching them. Yeah. I could not, I could not imagine teaching uh, before this time. You know the the work that would go into just making a simple copy, or yeah. I mean, the, the extra hours that I'm sure were put in when you had to fucking hand crank the stuff to turn the copies, or even just you know getting ink all over you, getting and, ink all over yeah. you, or making separate. Uh, we had the cheerleaders do most of that. Oh, okay. Cheerleaders made your copies. They decorated your rooms. You uh, know, they did your billboards, your blackboards, whatever, whatever you call those boards that have. See, and that's the small town thing that you wouldn't get at, the, at a place like AISD. Right. No. That was one thing that I, I remember being uh, when we were in Idaho and being your uh, teacher's aide. Teacher's aide, being an office assistant, and I had mm-hmm. that for like two periods. And it was just—I mean, we—you'd run errands for teachers, or you'd pick up like attendance slips. I remember doing that, make yeah. copies, and it was that was a lot of fun. But that was just small school stuff that I don't know if they have in big schools. I, I, Not as much. Small small town. I, I still think, and of course, you know, AISD has orchestra. They have symphony. They have French classes, Spanish classes, Latin classes. You know, AISD gives Canyon also uh, gives kids a, a lot varied education, a lot better education, more things to offer. But you know, when you're gonna when you're gonna be in ag and you're gonna be in in family and consumer science in a small town, and you're gonna play ball and you're gonna be in every class and you're gonna be in the band and you're going to do every freaking thing. I think it makes you a better person. Yeah. But AISD's got its advantages, and towns like Vega, they got their advantages too. Yeah. Yeah. And with AISD's new Amtech that they're opening up uh, this next fall, yeah. that's that that looks like it. I mean, that should be a big deal. It looks like it's going to. It's going to be good for a lot of things. kids to have that outlet and and gain that experience by by attending there. I mean, I think it's going to be awesome. I want to have my kids go there. Well, just because you guys are in education right now, get the kids back in the classrooms. Oh, yeah. Get the kids back in there. These teachers that say, well, it's not safe. Well, it wasn't freaking safe five years ago either. Everybody got sick. You got the flu. You got all this. These kids not being able to be in their classrooms right now is hurting our kids more than and it teachers go, it's not yeah. safe. I don't feel safe. Well, then get another freaking job. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that's my opinion. And I'm sorry if I step on anybody's toes. But, uh, you know, California's been shut down for a year and a half now. Connecticut's been shut down. And I know because I've got grandkids that have attended those those schools. And, you know, they, they're still – teachers are showing up in pajamas. They fall asleep during Zoom lessons, you know, yeah. and nothing happens to them. That's just – Nothing really gets accomplished through the virtual learning, in my opinion. Well, uh, and real teachers, kindergarten teachers, first-grade teachers, n- nothing against you secondary teachers, but K-1-2, the real teachers that really have to – you know, they can't say shut down, you know, sit down, shut up, read, that really have to teach. It's hard to teach with a mask on behind the shield. Those kids need to be hugged. Mm. They need to be loved. They need to be shown what's right, what's wrong. To get them back in the classroom. Well, and so much of it is lost too, because so much of when you're teaching and you're actually you're you're into a lesson and you're into it and you you gauge a lot of student understanding by body language, because not every student is comfortable raising their hand or shouting out an answer, and so you use that body language. And when you can't see the majority of their face, it's only eyes up. Some of those students slip through cracks because that teacher doesn't notice. Okay, they're nodding their head, but just because a kid nods their head doesn't mean that they understand. They may right. nod their head because. They don't want to be the only one that doesn't know it. And a lot of teachers pick up on that body language, and that's missing right now. 
Yeah, yeah. that's essential for growth and understanding in teaching. You've, you've got to be able to to gain signals from from the child and their well, facial expressions, their how they carry themselves. I mean, that's how you intentionally fit, fill their needs yeah. with what they need. Yeah, and they got to be in PE. They got to be in athletics. They got to yeah. be in band. They got to be in ag. They've got to. They've got to stay active. They've got to. They got to do all that crap. Definitely. So and, you know, and we've we've been open since September, and Canyon has been open since September. A lot of the Panhandle has been open this entire time, and cases in schools are low. Yeah, transmission yeah. in schools is just—it's just not where it happens. It did not balloon as large and as severe as uh, we all initially thought. It wasn't as big of an issue to me. Yeah, and COVID's bad. We we have two, a family member and and another good friends, both their husbands or grandpas and dads passed away because of COVID, and they still would have been alive today if it wouldn't have been for COVID. I understand that, and it's horrible. However, uh, you know things things happen. That's the way it goes. You get stronger. You fight on. You go on. You can't be scared. You you know you can just cower and stay home. And I'm scared. And I'm scared. Fine. But uh, anyway, so much for my story. Well, and you can stay. You can stay home for the right reasons. But then yeah. to expect that that has to be the new norm for something that is arguably really. Easy. I mean, it's not arguably. It is. It's been around for a long time at this point. We have a lot better ways of treating it. We have a lot better ways of identifying it. We know the target groups. You know, we know sure. who the most susceptible ones are. We understand that. We have a great barrage of vaccines at this point that are not just giving the live virus. They're actually adjusting, you know, components of our body to fight it. And so, I mean, now I would say now more than ever is the time to really capitalize on doing the smart thing to get out. If it's not smart for you to get out, don't get out. Right. Simple as that. But if you're, but, over, you're over 21, you can take care of yourself. Our kids still need us to take care of them. These yeah. kids that are in school. Yeah. I agree. Definitely. Hopefully the masks go away in the school system next year. I can't imagine. they. I mean, I can see, I think there will always be an opening and a possibility for people to wear masks and it be accepted. Mm-hmm. I think that's, at least for the next few years. I but think to that's be just mandatory, I hope not. I can't see them making it mandatory. You know, most of these small towns, they're not wearing masks. Yeah, yeah when I see friends that teach at small towns or, or, or old coaches and stuff like that and they're posting pictures on Facebook and it's, I mean, no one's wearing a mask. No, and they're doing just fine. Yeah. yeah. They're doing every, everybody. But tough call. Tough call. Yep. Yeah, I mean, at, at our school, I mean, the masks have kind of just caused even a larger issue overall. Sure. Throughout the school year. And um, it's a fight. We've had to suspend kiddos for not wearing the mask properly and things like that. It's just another nuisance that we have to deal with on a daily basis that – we shouldn't have to. I mean, it's it's a fight that we shouldn't be fighting. And, yeah, it, it does prevent the spread, but does it really? If you don't think those kids are going in the restroom and taking their mask off and visiting and vaping and crap like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to happen. They're still touching their face. They're adjusting sure. the mask constantly. So there is going to be transmission there no matter what. Correct. Well, and, and, and I don't see the defiant side of the not wearing the mask. Mine is more I've got a five- or a six-year-old or a four-year-old. And they have it down under their nose because it's just falling down. And it's a, hey, remind them, hey, pull the mask up over your nose. I don't I don't see the defiance part of it. I can't imagine having to deal with students. That, teenagers that teenagers. Don't, oh, absolutely no. don't want to wear it. Yeah. It's a constant fight. You know, suspensions are being handed out left and right because of the defiance with, with wearing one. So, yeah, it's a, it's a battle that we're never going to win. So I hope it's not mandatory next year. Well, and it's, and, you know, 
one of the best things about being <clears throat> in a school like AIC is that we are kind of afforded when to have those battles. And so to, to not be able to have a choice, but to fight that battle every single time. I mean, that's rough. That's rough. Cause then you're, you're, you're losing kids. If kids are having to be suspended because they're not wearing masks. I mean, I, I understand it. I'm on that side of it, but that just gets them out of the classroom and that doesn't serve mm-hmm. them. It doesn't and they're not the doing anything at home whatsoever. No. no. And virtual, you know, virtual has been successful for a lot of kids, but it's, the same people that are adults that thrive working at home. I hated being home. I do not work well at home. I, I have to be either. at the school. I need the environment. I need the people. I would, I'm not successful at working at home. And so we have that small population of students as well that to really be successful on virtual, you, you, there are certain factors that you need to have in place, and not every single one of the students has that. No. No, you know, it's because of the IDEA Act and everything else, it's got to be a fair and equitable education for uh-huh. all. Mm-hmm. And it's not right now. It's not your special aid kids are getting killed. Yeah, your, yeah. your special the, the gap kids. is growing. Yeah, and it's yeah. Uh, significantly. And then the state of Texas is going to do the star test, but we're not going to count the star test. So we're going to give the test. You don't think kids know all this? Oh yeah. You know, it's just like. But anyway, that star test that that that, that could be a topic for another day. I'm <laughs> yes, sure we for, can go definitely on to that for another forever. day. Um, but uh, to, so to kind of move away from uh, when you were a cop in the '80s, Amarillo, uh, what was your next career choice? Uh, I joined the army. Sorry, I got tired of shooting people, so I joined the army. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you did your um, where'd you do your basic training? You went to his. I mean, obviously, for those of you that didn't join the military, like myself, where you attend your basic training kind of leads to what branch or not what branch, but what what your job is going to be in the military. Yeah, I, I I signed on to to go into artillery. So you go most of the time. You go to Fort Bliss for for air defense. You know, I went to to. Artillery school at, at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, went to basic and what's called AIT, Advanced Individual Training, where you learn about how to be an artilleryman, work the different howitzers, whether it's a towed howitzer or self-propelled, whether you're going to jump out of airplanes or whatever. And uh, and then from there, I went to jump school, blew my knee out after the first jump, which was horrible because you'd gone through everything. And then um, came home, stationed in Germany, where we lived in Germany for over three years. And then from there, I went to Iraq for a while. But, uh, you know, it's... I dropped out of college 12 hours short of graduating because I couldn't pass college algebra. You can't oh, teach I couldn't te- either. You can't teach Texas <laughs> if you didn't pass college algebra. So uh, luckily I, when I came back from Iraq, I passed college algebra because I didn't want to freaking go back to Iraq. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I dropped out of college because I didn't want to do anything else, and uh, I, I didn't want to go back to being a cop. Uh, it's a tough job. It's tough on the families. And I just wanted something different, so I thought, you know, new change. So off we went to Germany. Now, I remember seeing, um, I can't remember where it was, but I remember seeing your marksman trophy. Yeah. I don't know if you still have it. Um, what does it take to be a marksman, or what did it take? I don't know if the, the criteria has changed. What did it take to be a marksman, uh, the, to, to earn that trophy when you were in the Army? Well, in basic training, of course, everything is a competition because your drill sergeants are also greater on how well they're, how we did mm-hmm. as, as young privates. And so, um, of course, you had the old M16A1 rifles that had no scope, just iron sights. You had 40 targets everywhere from 50 meters to 300 meters. Your last couple of targets were 300 meters away. And if you got 40 out of 40, you were an expert. Actually, if you got 36 out of 40, you were an expert. Luckily, I hit 40 out of 40 targets. But I had never shot a rifle. I shot shotguns, shot pistols most of my life. When I went to basic training, the drill sergeant taught me how to shoot a rifle. So I learned from the best, and the drill sergeants were the best. And um, so I was an expert. And then every time I happened to qualify, 
uh, when I was in, in Europe, then I qualified expert. So, but the trophy was from being highest marksman in basic training. I can't see shit 20 yards away. I can't imagine. <laughs> I, can't I can't imagine shooting now, something with the iron sights at, at, at 300 meters. 300 I mean, meters. Yeah. That is insane. From the prone position. Wow. So, so it was a, you know, a lot of it's luck. I mean, it really is, you, you know, because anything can go wrong. You're shooting a, you know, a 5.56 millimeter round at 300 meters and wind can affect it. You know, you're squeezing wrong, whatever you, you do wrong. So, uh, but yeah, that was, you know, you, you get lucky and, and, uh, and then when you learn to do something the right way, like you guys that are teachers, you teach a kid how to play ball the right way, fundamentally they're going to be sound. If you go in the military and you've, you know, you've been deer hunting your whole life and your grandpa taught you and your dad taught you, they probably taught you bad habits. That drill sergeant's there to teach you the exact right way how to do it. And so you learn the right way. No bad habits, and you're successful. So that was and cool. So, so out of basic training, what was your um, – what was – I mean, what, what did you do? I think it's MOS, I think is what yeah. it's called. What your, was your MOS? Military occupational scale was 13 Bravo. I was a gun bunny. You, you're going to go to artillery. Uh, I went to jump school. And like I said, I got hurt, so I didn't graduate jump school. Didn't get my wings, all that kind of good stuff. And so I was trained on a towed piece that could be dropped out of an airplane or air assaulted in. But because I didn't finish jump school, then I got sent off to Germany where it was a self-propelled. It looks like a tank, for lack of a better word, but it was M109 Alpha Deuce Howitzers, uh, 155 self-propelled. And, uh, you know, that, that was an awesome job. And I did it as a, as a field artilleryman for only about six months. And then uh, because I had a little bit of education and was a little bit sharp than most young kids coming in the Army, um, I went to, to, uh, to S1, which is kind of office-type work. And then um, because I had been a cop and had some maturity, uh, you know, I didn't start basic training until I was 27 years old. So I was a little older than the guys, a little more mature, not as smart as some of them. And then I went to operations and training, which is S3. And, and then um, so we basically – it was kind of like um, you plan battles, you plan maneuvers, you plan training for everybody, make sure everybody's up on everything. So I did that uh, when I made E5. I was just a sergeant, plain old buck sergeant, and uh, I made that after two years. And then just uh, there we went. Love Germany. Germany was great. Yeah. Europe yeah. was great. I am. Um, I. I have. I have vague memories of storing stuff outside because there was just not a need for a fridge. It was that cold. Really, where where at in Germany? We were we were we were stationed in in Ansbach, Third Battalion, Seventeenth Field Artillery, part of Two Tenth Field Artillery Brigade, and we lived in a little town called Kurzendorf, mm-hmm. where the kids and I lived. You didn't have air conditioners. You didn't need air conditioners. You just opened the windows because it stayed cool. I mean, in the summer, it's kind of like Washington State, mm-hmm. Oregon. Um, there were some times where it got warm, but it always cooled off at night. But we lived above a guest house, which is, for lack of a better word, a little German restaurant bar that they'd turned into apartments and the landlord and landlady ran a farm and ran the guest house and Tyler and Jared ran around with little German kids and uh, I went to work. I have, I have vague memories of, and this is something that, that y'all have gotten kind of confirmed as I've, um, as I was older, uh, going out and picking strawberries with our, uh, landlady with Omaha. Yeah. Oh. With Omaha and not, right. not speaking a lick of German. Cause I was what three at the time. Yeah, you got there. You were still in diapers. Yeah, when you got there, yeah. Tyler went to kindergarten and first grade in Europe, and so that puts you at three, four, five years old. Yeah, yeah my brother likes telling the story of him of when he went to school, there being armed guards standing on the roof of his school. Yeah, especially when we deployed to Iraq, they put uh, there were armed there were soldiers that rode the school buses. There were soldiers on top of the schools, barricades up. 
because we were, everybody was afraid of terrorists and all this kind of crap and not knowing what was going to happen. But yeah, the landlady, and our landlord was an ex-Nazi. He'd been blown up. I mean, he was a German soldier in World War II. He'd missing part of his leg. And, and they'd listen to old Hitler albums. Mm-hmm. Those Germans would get down there at night, they'd be drinking the good German beer, playing Hitler records. And this is, you know, this is the late 80s, early 90s. But the landlady would take Tyler and Jared out, and they'd pick strawberries and come back and look like they were blood all over them because the strawberry fields were just so lush. They'd come back red. But they, the Germans loved Americans. Americans loved their time over there. You know, they were still animosity. There was a lot of terrorists going on in the 80s in Germany, uh, attack on military bases. So anytime you went into a military installation, there were armed guards, you know, checked your IDs, all this kind of stuff. But basically it was uh, the, the military was good for me. Uh, it, it, it was something that I needed at that point in my life, and uh, and I still have some very dear friends that we connect 30 years later after being in Iraq. That was um, th- th- now there was like a little pond or something kind of over there because I vaguely I, I remember seeing uh, I remember trying to walk out but seeing like little German kids uh, ice skating and playing hockey. Yeah, I feel like playing hockey. And then um, I have <laughs> I have a memory of going swimming in a pool and then all the kids are naked. <laughs> yeah, little German, little German boys and girls. You'd go to what was called the Aquella. Uh-huh. It was an indoor swimming pool, and uh, of course, the women are all topless. The adult women are topless, which was so cool until they raised their arms up. They were hair under their <laughs> arms. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the little kids just basically would swim naked. I mean, you know, four or five years old. And that's just the way it was. Sexuality was a little bit more open in Europe. Uh, you know, in, in Amsterdam, Netherlands, Holland, things like that. You know, prostitution is legal in some parts of Germany. Uh, not that I ever frequented them, but, you know, prostitution was legal. And so there was just a different sexuality uh, th- th- than what was in the States. And, yeah, little kids just run around butt naked. It's crazy. Wow. Except the American soldiers' kids, they, they wore swimsuits. Yeah. <laughs> Modest Americans. Modest so Americans. you guys were in, in Germany around the time the Berlin Wall fell. Yeah. Matter of fact, I have a part of the Berlin Wall. When the Berlin Wall came down in 89, we, we hauled butt into Czechoslovakia and bought a bunch of crystal, and then went to Berlin and got part of the wall. Yeah, I still got some of my old duffel bags. Is back. that crystal that I have from Czechoslovakia? Yeah. Is that like, god damn, is it like Nazi crystal or some cool shit? No, like it's that? just because <laughs> the, that'd be like a piece of history like that would be amazing. Yeah. No, when we because when the when the when the wall came down, everything in Eastern European countries, Czechoslovakia, uh, the old Yugoslavia countries, which are now Herzegovina and, and Bosnia and all these kind of things, but you could buy stuff so cheap. I mean, uh-huh. you could buy a hundred dollar piece of of of, of uh, crystal for two dollars. Oh wow! So you know, American soldiers went over, and and the Germans and the East Germans that were now slowly incorporated into West Germany. Of course, they hated each other, but uh, but you could buy stuff cheap, and the American dollar would buy two or three German marks depending on the exchange rate. So you, you lived. American soldiers lived comfortably. You know, the only bad experience that I remember from the military is when we moved back. Because we had an original Nintendo and like 20 games or something like that. And we came back and I, I don't know if the Nintendo didn't make it back or the games didn't. But I remember being very upset that my Ninja Turtles game did not make it back. Well, whenever they, whenever we came back and then they started downsizing all the military forces in Europe, the all the movers that moved us, they made killings. Oh, yeah. They, they took stuff from every soldier that came back. You know, and you just you were so glad to get back to the states, and there was nothing you could do about it. The military had reimbursed you for it. Like, man, I'm missing this huge stereo system because those were big at the time. You know, yeah. stereos go from wall to wall and eight foot speakers. You know, and the military had reimbursed you for them, but there's some guy named Ivan playing it and 
Jump to the bucket. <laughs> now, did they, did we, or did you, no, it's not like I did it, um, that Volvo that you had, that 88, I think it was an 88 Volvo, the yeah. blue one, did you buy that in Germany? I bought it from an American soldier that was getting, that was retiring, okay. and uh, it had it had American specs, because you couldn't bring European spec cars back, they had to be transferred over to American specs, but yeah, and we, you know, went everywhere in that. My first car was a, like a 72 BMW two-door, I bought for $400, and it was great, but when you get, your mother and, and your brother got over there, we bought a Mercedes for like $1,400. That was great. And then we bought this Volvo that lasted 10 years and had 250,000 miles on it. That was great. We, we drove it on into Farwell. Yeah, I remember going to playing golf in Shamrock at yeah. the Shamrock Country Club and just driving. And that thing, it was like 60. Anything over 60 in that car shook. Like <laughs> it, sh- it shook violently. It was getting old. but Just a little bit. We were poor. So that's okay. Um, one thing that I did want you to talk about, and it, it's fine if you don't want to, um, but you, um, you you earned a Purple Heart during your service. Yeah. Um, and that was due to you essentially being blown up. Well, of course, I was an operations sergeant in Iraq, and our artillery battalion saw a lot of action. Uh, and towards the end of the ground war, of course, we'd been in Iraq two, three, four months, something like that, before it all happened. And then the ground war broke, air war broke out, ground war broke out. And um, they, uh, I, I was wounded. Yeah, so it was, it was. I got sent to an evac. It's just like MASH, the TV show MASH. Oh, yeah? Helicopter. <laughs> helicopter. They couldn't bring a helicopter in to get me very quickly. Was it like of, cross-dressing draws, doctors and... No, these were... No, no, <laughs> no the I was unit that, how much into MASH it was. No, it's just helicopter and you see the big red and white cross painted on the ground. No, I was treated by one for eight evac out of Little Rock, Arkansas. They were a National Guard unit or Army Reserve unit. That were, National Guard, I think. They were called up out of Arkansas. And so I went to a mass hospital because I was paralyzed for a couple of days. And then back got a little bit better. And then I went to a, a regular hospital that one for eight evac uh, operated. And then um, about 10 days later, they were going to send me back to the States. This is what pissed your mother off. I was going to fly back to the States. Well, I didn't have to stay there. But... The unit, had moved, the unit had moved closer to Baghdad. We didn't know what was going to happen. I was good at my job. I was very good at my job. And uh, the soldiers that you work with, you do not want to leave. And I didn't want to go back to the States. And so about midnight, I gathered some stuff up, kind of knew where the battalion was because the battalion commander, Colonel McCausen, had came to see me. And uh, two days later, I found my unit. I just went AWOL. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you... Uh, well, Days, a week, maybe two weeks after having been paralyzed from being blown up, decide to leave. I'm sure against doctor's orders. I'm sure against every. I'm just direct orders. Well, I was. I was did I was you have be- to sneak out? Yeah, yeah. I, I was better. I mean, I, I could walk. I was better. <laughs> no, 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 I was. I was. I was a lot better. Uh, basically, I, my spine was just compressed, and um, because the vehicle where we in had flipped and and all this kind of good stuff. But um, I, I was better and. Um, Captain Nancy Odenthal was a nursing instructor at the University of Arkansas, and she happened to be my nurse. And, and so you go through a little physical. had my first shower in like six months at the hospital. That was cool. Instead of taking what we'd call horse baths, we took little <laughs> kids' plastic swimming pools, and one guy would watch over you with a rifle, and you'd pour water on you naked, and you'd bathe, and then you'd get dressed, and he'd get in the same little swimming pool, and that's how we bathed. And, um, horse baths. Horse baths, yeah. that's what you called them. <laughs> You didn't have enough water or soap to really clean all of you. You just cleaned the important parts. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I found my unit, and 
walked to the operations center, the ta tactical operations center, because that's where I was assigned. And uh, Captain Duffy was there, an Army Ranger that I've connected with. He became a major. Um, he's a big Gonzaga fan. So we've been talking a lot lately. We reconnected because of Facebook, which was totally cool. And uh, so found my unit. That's just crazy to me. To, that is crazy. To, to venture off just in the middle of the fucking desert. <laughs> I mean, well, just, just it, to walk out. It was a little better than that. It wasn't quite that bad. But I, I know we're on on the podcast, but I have a picture of Captain Duffy, Sergeant Pedro, and Specialist Wentz. That's us. Oh, yeah. We can't, I've seen we, this. We think, we think Wentz is in prison for arson. Because this is Duffy, arson. right? Yeah, it's Captain yeah, Duffy. Yeah. Terry Duffy. And so we, you can see, those of you that, that have known my dad, um, he when he was a lot younger, and, and really in this picture, he looked like a spitting image of Squints uh, from Sandlot. I mean, there's a picture that Grandma Scott has. It's still in that in that bedroom. Uh, of you and it just it blows my mind how much you look like and you and you look like a grown up. <laughs> he does. Then. He you, does. You do. Yeah. You do. Um, but I mean that was. So when we came back, it was. Uh, did you did you consider for reenlisting anything like that? I'm sure that's a conversation you and mom had. But you know, kind of what what made you decide to then leave the military for good uh, and become my battalion a commander, Colonel McCausen, at the time said, uh, Sergeant Scotty said you you ought to go back and finish your degree. Because I'd always I coached the Army basketball team there at the post, and of course we played volleyball, we played softball. Military's big about those things, and and I loved coaching basketball, and always wanted to be a teacher, but I couldn't pass college algebra, which is stupid to make teachers take. It is. Those I, of you that are, I had to take it twice, especially if you're not going to oh, teach I, algebra. I have four F's on my transcript, and they're all college algebra because I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to drop the class, or I just screw you. I think you I had know. to do remedial algebra. I had to take some class at AC. I had to do I those two. Like, I had to yeah. do two or three different remedial classes leading up to college algebra. And then once I finally sat down in a college algebra classroom, I failed miserably in the next semester. I was failing halfway through, and I was able to uh, register into another teacher's algebra class. It was like a, a half-semester type class that I could finish within a month, month and a half. And luckily, I was accepted in that class, and that's how I got through a college algebra. Yeah. It's it, it's anyway, but Colonel McCausen said, uh, and he he Colonel McCausen became a full bird colonel, and he's now uh, he does some things for the government still, and does some consulting, and I've stayed in touch with him. But he said, go back and finish your degree. So we got back to the states. Uh, WT had already started, but because we were all war heroes from coming back from the desert, I say that tongue in cheek. WT let me start a little bit later than everybody else. The classes to start. And I finished my degree in, in uh, that next semester, and then I started teaching and coaching. Okay. And so your first position, we uh, we went to Wheeler. I think it was uh, summer of 92? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. So it's where I it's where Tyler started, like, third grade. I started kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, and you were an assistant coach. Yeah, I was an assistant coach and junior high teacher. And then uh, uh, after two – we were there four years. After two years, and they had me teaching high school classes. Then became high school assistant. And then uh, I got the head girls basketball job at Wheeler, but the athletic director at the time didn't like that, and the superintendent didn't back him, didn't back me. And he was, the superintendent was my old high school principal, which really pissed me off. But it <laughs> turned out because then I, I took the head coaching job at Farwell and was the girls coordinator at Farwell. And um, even though I coached girls track, cross-country, basketball, and golf, I still coached football the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's one of the things. Because I was offensive and defensive line coach and, and taught five classes. 
So uh, wow, shit. that's a load right there. Yeah, well, that's, but everybody did it. Yeah, that's one of the things. Everybody that small schools is you don't you don't just teach one right. sport. I mean, and I know you don't just teach one sport now, but it really is a. I mean, especially because I remember that in football, I didn't understand it at the time. I totally do now. But yeah, it's it's an all hands on deck thing. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's more of a lifestyle in a mm. small school coach than what it would be in like AISD. Yeah, it wouldn't fair to your mother. It wouldn't fair to you two guys because you coach five sports and you teach four or five academic classes, and uh, we had graded me. And but the kids at Wheeler were great, and half of them, of course, now are big time football coaches at AISD and Dumas and the Dunham boys and and, and Jason Porton at Vega and and Justin Heffley, your assistant athletic director. Here. I coached all those kids. And they're great kids, and they they just. But we go to Farwell. We had some success. Uh, won a state championship in girls basketball. We went back to back state, but only won it the once. And then uh, after we left Farwell, I became an administrator and then principal, and then I finally retired. So you went to state. Correct me if I'm wrong. You may not even remember this. I feel like it was eight times in the six years that we were at Farwell. Yeah, we went to state like four times in cross country, a couple of times in track, twice in basketball. Uh, the year I decided to leave Farwell, they took the girls' program away from me because I, I probably deserved to have it taken away from me because I just didn't handle things too well. So that's when I became the boys' golf coach. And we got second in state that year when Tyler and Stem senior year. And so uh, then I became a principal. So what – I mean, I know coaching was always your heart, especially when we were at Farwell. I mean, I'd, you had I'd, that, I'd, that co- I'd have stayed coaching. You'd have stayed coaching? I'd have stayed coaching, but principals make so much more money. Yeah. Yeah, and and don't work as many hours as a good coach, in my opinion. Yeah, I I would agree. <laughs> coaching, I mean, coaching it really is because yeah. it's more of a, I mean, you're you're a coach and you're you know you you were a teacher as well and you're dedicated to your classroom as well. But as a coach, especially in a small town, it really is. It's a separate. It's a separate family. It is that you have with your players, especially in that small town in that dynamic when you see each other five days out of the week and then you see them. Sunday at church, and then we see him Sunday at. Mm-hmm. I mean, where the hell did we go? Leal's back when they God Leal's and Clovis was that was the best thing. That was the best thing about church. coaching in Farwell because you'd go across the border to Clovis. Right, it's an hour earlier, so you get out of church at noon. It's eleven o'clock at Leal's and Clovis. All the all the New Mexicans were still in church because <laughs> they didn't get out to <laughs> the but, benefits of living on the, the border, benefits right? of living benefits on the border. border. Yeah, but I you the know border <laughs> Texas New Mexico border. Yeah. The success that I had. As a, as a coach and then as a principal was all because I had good ball players. I had good teachers that worked for me. It's nothing I did at all. I coordinated things and, and pushed people and sometimes pushed way too damn hard. I pushed my teachers too hard. I pushed my ball players too hard. There's no doubt about it. But uh, it's the only way I knew how to do things. It's what they taught me as a cop. You do things the right way. You go full speed. The Army, of course, full speed ahead. Screw everybody else. Um, you know, when, when I – Two years after I got out of the Army, I got a Bronze Star in the mail. And I, to this day, I still don't know why I got a Bronze Star, and I've read the citation and crap like that. But you basically, you do your job well, and they reward you. And so that's when you have some good ball players, you know, Ashley Crawford, Megan Miller, Ramsey Bennett, Lisa Harrington, Chelsea Cotwasher, Nikki Stout, uh, Marnie Lunsford, uh, all, those, all those kids that just played hard, they were great. And then I was fortunate when I became a principal. I had good teachers, and sometimes I had to fire teachers, and and God help those teachers that didn't do their jobs. But that's just the way it is. But it, it takes a toll on you. You know, you guys are here talking to me, and it makes me sound great. But being a cop, being a soldier, being a coach, doing all these things, and, and everything that goes part of it, it takes a toll on you. And you don't do things like you should. 
you sometimes get a God complex. Sometimes you think you're better than everybody else. And then ultimately, it just uh, screws with you, and you just it's time to, to go play golf. And you did. You you retired. Um, you retired. Worked at the VA for a little bit. I went to work for the VA, and, and then I, and then and then unretired. And then I, <laughs> Vicky and I were in Canada, and we'd gone to see the kids in Connecticut. Were you uh, get some French fries and gravy? No, no, no. Eh? We we just, we went to we went to Niagara Falls. We went on a road trip. We drove to Canada. Road trip, eh? We drove to eh. Canada, and the kids. Vicky's youngest daughter and her husband's in the Navy. He's a real hero. I don't know what he does in the Navy because he can't tell us. He just disappears sometimes. But um, we were in we were in Canada, and I get a call uh, from Claude, and they'd fired their basketball coach about three weeks before the season started. Two weeks before the season started, they asked me if I'd come down and just coach. And so I did that for two years, and we had a lot of luck. We won like. I think we won 55 games in two years, something like that, maybe a little more than that. And then I decided to retire again. And now, uh, of course, I got remarried. Uh, but uh, we're building a home in the middle of the hill country in Blanco, Texas, at a beautiful golf resort. And so we're lucky. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think we're lucky. Well, and I, you know, I, I think. Two beautiful little baby granddaughters. Oh, dear gosh. Kylie and Emma. They're a mess. And baby Stevie. They're a mess. <laughs> Kaylin, if, if Kaylin doesn't even listen to this show, I guarantee you she doesn't listen to this show. Uh, I like Abigail. I like Abigail. I, oh yeah. Oh, it's gonna be Abigail. We still can't figure out a damn middle name. What was the no Abigail Kate? Well, Kaylin doesn't like Kate. Fine. When you're a teacher like you guys, when you're a teacher and you have you, it's time to give your children names, you've had that kid in class. Mm-hmm. You've had the Stevie in class that was just an ass. Mm-hmm. You know, or you've had little Stephanie or little Susie or little Bobby, and you think, God, I cannot name my kid that that name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all the good names are screwed. See, and I, I've had a few. I've had a few bad Abigails uh, in in my teaching career, but I still I just like the name. That's a good name. I just I like, like the it. name. I like the name Abigail. But if y'all are gonna have, of course, you're gonna have all girls, and whether yeah. they play ball. But if if you have boys, for your listeners, if you have boys and they're athletically inclined, have as many syllables in their name as possible. <laughs> no, so when they're announced. When that announcer calls her name at the Frank Irvin Center in, at the University of Texas or in San Antonio for the state basketball tournament, and the kid's name is you know twelve syllables long, he gets a big inter- he gets a big announcement. If it's Jared Scott, that's not <laughs> that's very a good big. Point. That's, that's, that's short. If it's that's Jimmy short. Joe Spavanucci, then he's good. Jimmy Joe Spavanucci, <laughs> he's good. Benjamin Frederick Douglas Douglas yeah, Douglas Douglas. <laughs> Douglas Douglas would be a good one. Um, okay, so if you could go back and and relive one job. Relive it? Relive one job. Relive one period. What would it be? I'd go back to Iraq with the soldiers I served with. Hands down. Hands down. We were, uh, we meant a lot to each other. It was, it was tough job, tough duty, miserable, but you, you did something against evil that a lot of people don't get a chance to do. It's a dangerous job and, and these young men and women that are fighting for our countries today have all my support. And to see players kneeling for national anthems and they, they won't let honor guards come on football fields and all this kind of crap just breaks my heart. Because people before me, those Vietnam vets, the World War II vets, Korean vets, World War One, these guys uh, in, been in Afghanistan and Iraq, put their butts on the line. And some of these people just don't get it. And that bothers me. So I'd do that again. Now, winning a state championship, one of the best feelings in the world. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, seeing kids that I kicked out of school when I was a principal come back and then um, 
are now really good friends with my wife Vicky and I, and we see their kids play ball because I had to kick them out. I mean, they were either on drugs or they were involved in gangs, or I was at some tough schools and uh, kind of gravitated to that just because that was the kind of person I was. But when these kids came back and they wanted a second chance, and your job as an educator is to give everybody a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, until there are no chances. But uh, that's very rewarding. But to, to fight for your country and, uh, and to, to be part of that brotherhood is something nobody can understand. So that's what I'd do again, as long as I could come back alive. And everybody came back alive, and the bad guys all died. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect Good, point. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just a crapshoot. You know, you guys being young parents, you're going to get into administrator, Jason, and Jared, you're an administrator now. Um, all you can do is do your best and uh, do things the right way. Now, it ultimately got me fired from education. I mean, I got, I got fired from River Road because I told the superintendent off and said some things I shouldn't have said. and um, But it was because just I'd lost kind of control, and, and then it's time to go. Uh, but there are a lot of administrators out there, teachers, coaches, that it's time for them to go, and they don't get it. But I thought it was my job to tell them that. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's. I, I think I see that more – uh, I've seen that more, and maybe it's just because I, I'm, I'm, I'm as over the last ten years, I've gotten a lot smarter, and so I'm able to see it a lot more. But I used to think that you know every single person in in education could be can be coached, can be taught, can can be you know they can adjust those bad habits. That's just not the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's I used to think a small percentage, but there's a fair percentage of people that just don't need to be teaching and still are. Well, but it's not our job to judge people, and that's horrible. I'm not God. I'm not a preacher. I have no way to judge people. But when people aren't doing things for the right reason, in my opinion, and as an administrator, you guys are going to have to make those decisions. When somebody is mean to kids or doesn't do their job or has a bottle in their desk that has Jack Daniels on it or whatever or you know, brings brownie stuff full of dope or whatever, uh, you know, that's... <laughs> Not that that's happened today, ISD or anything, but uh, you know it's it's time for those folks to go. But too many people won't get rid of those people because it's hard. It's hard to fire a teacher. It's hard to fire that cop. It's hard to fire somebody not doing their job because everybody thinks everybody should. But no, when you're messing with our kids today, and you can't do the job or you're not doing it for the right reasons, you know it's time to get another job. Period. Did you ever think you'd get into education, James? Initially, no, but there was always a, a part of me that has that's enjoyed learning, enjoyed education. I mean, I've been an athlete my entire life, so coaches were a big influence on me. I had some teachers that, that left a huge impact on my life. So that has always stuck with me. So to, to give that back to, um, to the youth and, and to be able to make the same influence and same impact in their lives then you know that was always something in the back of my mind but initially no i was i was not i just wanted to take my basics and then f- see where it went from there yeah i, w- I wasn't geared towards education initially I, and there's a lot of people that don't have a degree that can be good teachers or that could be great coaches that that can do these things now there's rules and that's just the way things are mm. but um if you want to do what's you know it's just like that person that, that wants to be a nurse you know especially with what's going on with covid and all this crap you know, when I was a cop, there's two people I never gave tickets to. I never gave a nurse a ticket. I never gave a teacher a ticket. 
because I knew the kind of lives they had and what they did for a living. And so, you know, unfortunately, if you were a banker, you probably got a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> they deserve it. They deserve it. No, but, you know, that's, that's, just, that's just because I'm a, I'm a human being and I have faults and, and, and failures, you know, for my own self. But, you know, people that, that are in public service, teachers, nurses, uh, even, you know, doctors, uh, you know, and, and then you support people that work at schools. Mm, you know, yeah. my, my wife was a high school secretary. And a, and a you know a librarian's aide and a counselor secretary, you know those people are probably more important than anybody. Put that high school secretary in the classroom for that disruptive class y'all got. That oh, ought to be fixed in a second. That, that secretary will fix it. Yep, they're the glue that holds yeah. the whole community yeah. of, of every campus together. And and that's just uh, that's just the nature. It's the way it is. And they're usually the ones that if you like if you have a, a teacher that retires or a teacher that moves out, it's kind of an easy to it's easy to replace. The pool for really, really good teachers is getting larger. But the pool for competent, hardworking support staff is just not there because no. the money's not the there. The turnover rate is very high. Yeah. But when you can find one that, that, that works, you know, and that is that is that is good, it's you they stay around for a long time. They do, they do. And, and there's just not very many. And as administrator, future administrators, you're an administrator, you're going to be an administrator. You better take care of your support staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking mm-hmm. everybody from the cooks to your custodians. Right. Those are the people that will make or break you. That was one of the first lessons I was I was taught is that regardless of the position, when you go to a new school, make best friends with the secretary and the custodians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the cafeteria and, ladies. Yeah, and the cafeteria ladies. Or you're not going to yes. get bacon for breakfast. And yeah. And yeah. I had to turn down sausage today because I try to be a good Catholic husband and and not eat meat on Fridays during Lent. How'd that go? But it you're not Catholic. Sucked. I like I said, a good Catholic husband. I'm proud of you, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm proud it of you. sucked. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> it sucked because you know the French toast looked terrible this morning, but the sausage smelled <laughs> good. All right, so we are going to go into um, a segment that we like to do. Uh, this is a relatively new segment. It is called uh, "Fuck Mary Kill." I can't believe I'm in there. <laughs> and so I, I, I asked my father to come up with his five, uh, five of his favorite movies. Yep. Uh, and so I'm going to let you, Dad, I'm going to let you pick out the three that you want to choose from, or I can pick them out. Uh, does it have to fall in the, the category you just mentioned? Well, yeah, we only need three. Because there's nobody in Hoosiers I'm going to make out with. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> there's nobody. Really? That Gene Hackman? I mean, Jimmy could shoot the ball, but I, I don't want to screw him. Who's the, who's the drunk uncle? <laughs> Shooter. Shooter, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper, yeah. Uh, my five top movies. Hoosiers, Top Gun. Of course, Kelly McGillis was great, but then she went to the dark side. Uh, Kelly's Heroes. I, I hate saying these two, but they're two of my favorite movies. Nothing, you know, there's a lot of serious movies, Sinner's List, but Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Okay, oh, so yeah. we'll go Young Frankenstein. Yes. Top Gun okay. and Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Okay, so... The the concept is is one of them you would have is just a one night stand, one of them you'll never get to see again, and the other one you'll marry and you're stuck with for the rest of your life. What what three movies? So we're gonna do Hoosiers. There's Top there's Gun. only one woman in Hoosiers. Well, it's not you're not fucking the individual person oh. or marrying the individual person. It's essentially, just, your it's your favorite. Movie. Yeah, your favorite. Your favorite one would think would be the one that you would marry. Yes. Your oh, least favorite marry. would be the one that you would kill, and your little side fling is just the one that you would. My, my Enjoy. F- most favorite would be Young Frankenstein. So you would marry Young Frankenstein. I would marry. I would marry Gene. Hack- I mean Gene. Uh, who Gene Wilder. Gene. I would marry Gene Wilder today because he's dead. His. I know, but his hair looked worse than mine, and I feel sorry <laughs> for him. 
Gene Wilder had the worst hair anywhere. But yeah, Young Frankenstein probably. All right, so who would you kill? Who would I kill? So you're stuck between Hoosiers and Top Gun. Hoosiers and Top Gun. Who would I kill? Uh, I hated Goose Dying, so I'd kill Top Gun. All right. I hated Goose Dying. That movie could have been just as good without Goose Dying. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, it, yeah. That was, I mean, that was a big moment in no, the movie. Goose, Goose could have been hurt. Goose could have been anything, but Goose did not have to die. Anthony Edwards did not have to die. And then he went on to ER and some TV shows that weren't worth a crap. So it ruined his career. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I do know. hate I hate when the, the, the big star dies. I, I, I can't stand it. And, and, and I'm going to watch Top Gun this summer, hopefully with you and Tyler. Oh, yeah, it looks it, great. It comes out. So what's the last category? Uh, the last one is the one that you'd fuck. Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Yeah. Just one night stand it. Hickory, Indiana. <laughs> Hickory, Indiana. I've been through Indiana. Uh, it's a country I'd you, one night stand and go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What about you, James? Young Frankenstein, Hoosiers, and Top Gun. Oh, man. Goose will haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would have to say I, I am a basketball fan. I'd have to, I'd have to marry Hoosiers and – I'd have to fuck Top Gun, kill Young Frankenstein. I haven't seen it, so that's the one I have seen to. Young Frankenstein? That's the one I have to oh, fucking get kidding. rid of. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. Oh, it's God. great, man! It's great. Did you like it, like Blazing Saddles, Caddyshack type movies? I do like those type of movies. Okay. Yeah, Mel Brooks. You'll, you'll love, it's black yeah. and white too. It's black Is and it? white. It didn't have to be black. It was in color time, but it was black and white. Film. If you thought Hubie Halloween was funny, damn, you're in for. A I surprise. love that type of humor. Stupid, idiotic humor. I like. Cloris Leachman, Gene Hackman. Great I'll have to check it out. Not Gene Hitman. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Yeah. Um, I would, I'd probably kill Hoosiers. Um, Why? Well, just. You, had, you hated basketball, Jared. I, I, I played basketball. I still, I like basketball. I just, I hated basketball at the same time. Jared was uh, a great tennis player. I was a good tennis player. Because yeah. in the spring, when Texas plays tennis, the wind's usually blowing 30 miles an hour. Jared was this big, huge, strong offensive lineman for Idaloo Wildcats. Great football team. Jared was a great offensive lineman. But the wind wouldn't affect him. He'd just stay at the net and kill people. He got <laughs> third in district, and was, he was a horrible tennis player. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> that's one sport I wish I would have played. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's a hell of a workout. Jared just stayed at the net and just, killed people. Yeah, he would to, hit them with the tennis much. ball. I bought my fun. kids tennis racket, so Did you we'll really? try to get them into it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Take them to Price at Amarillo Country Club. Yeah. The plug for Price. Price or, uh, he's not the Country Club, is he? I thought he was at the Emerald Tennis Club. I thought he was at Emerald Country Club giving tennis lessons. Go to Emerald Country Club or go to the place over by. Uh, There's a tennis John center Stiff. right across the street. Yeah, I think that's where yeah. he's. Uh, I think that's where anyway, he's a pro go, at. Go ahead with your other choices. But yeah, no, I would. I, so I'd, I'd kill Hoosiers. Um, <laughs> I would. I'd fuck Top Gun. Um, because of who it is, whoever it is in Top Gun is so hot. Can't think of her name. Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Yeah, and then I would. Uh, I'd Ice Man was pretty good looking. Yeah, the weirdest names. The volleyball scene. The though. actual, yeah, volleyball scene was great. Volleyball scene was yeah. great. Yeah, if you like a bunch of uh, 80s men jumping around shirtless <laughs> but still in jeans for some reason. Wearing aviator glasses. Wearing aviator glasses. Right. Top going to be the one. So are you, are you a Bobby Knight fan? I love Bobby Knight. Some yeah. people say I coach like him. I didn't, oh, definitely. I didn't throw a chair. You didn't throw a chair, but th- some of the shit that you said. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the, the he's ball. intense. I was I was too intense. Again, when you when you do things a hundred percent, it it wears on you after a while. And what I wish I'd have never coached the way I coached. Now some of my ball players have said, "Hey, it was okay. We've reconnected, you know." But it just takes a lot out of it. But yeah, big Bobby Knight fan. Mm-hmm. Big. 
big. And, of course, I think his health is not very good right now. Yeah. Coach, Coach Knight's not doing well. I hadn't well. heard that it was, yeah. Coach Knight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, you know, he, he stayed, you know, of course, Indiana fired him, then he came to Tech, and he went to some other places. But, you know, Coach Knight was loyal to Indiana. Now coaches are – you know, they make too much money and they're going to go from somewhere, they're going to go here, they're going to go there. There's worse than kids entering the transfer portals. Yeah. There's no there's no uh, loyalty anymore in, in sports. It's loyalty to the dollar. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I you know, I think if if the if these college kids are going to get uh, their likenesses used to raise money for NCAA, they mm-hmm. ought to get a cut of it. There's no doubt about it. Now, I know Charles Barkley and people say that education is important. You're going to get a free education. They're going to help you get to your classes. That's all well and good. But if, if you're one of these top schools, you know, look at Gonzaga, and I'm starting to love the Zags. Of course, Captain Duffy, who I served with, who was a brilliant soldier, graduated from Gonzaga, and then, of course, you know, they do things the right way. That coach has been there. He's not the mm-hmm. top paid coach. The players play hard. They don't leave. They don't enter transfer portals. Of course, he's fixing to steal a University of North Carolina kid, but that's the way it goes. But, um, you know, there's lots to be said about loyalty. Yeah, they beat the hell out of my Sooners the other day. Yeah, and, and Lon Kruger just retired, dude. Yeah, he did. He's Lon out of there. Kruger retired after 48 years in the coaching business. Yeah, he, he, was, he was a great coach. He yeah, was. He did a good he job. A good, he had a really good run at OU. And Shaka Smart, I think. No, is it him? Yeah, Shaka? I think Shaka's out maybe of Texas. Mar- maybe going to Marquette. That's what I heard. Maybe going to Marquette. Yeah. I mean, getting beat by Abilene Christian, that's – I mean, that's pretty – That's embarrassing. Embarrassing, right? I loved it. I, I loved it, too. And I, I I, I'm a Texas fan. But and I like OU because of their head football coach. You know, being a West Texas boy. Yeah. Being a Lincoln Riley. Kid. Lincoln Riley's mother-in-law was one of my teachers. Really. When I was at Dimmit, yeah. And her, her dad, Coach Cleveland, was one of the best Texas high school basketball coaches. My dad coached against him. Coach Cleveland unfortunately died at, at a younger age. He wasn't young, but he, he was hit by lightning uh, mm-hmm. in cloud call for Angel Fire, at the height of his coaching career. And uh, but that's that's the lineage of of. Uh, of that young man's wife's family. Oh, I didn't. I never knew that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Great, uh, great. Coach Cleveland was one of the best coaches the Texas Panhandle has ever known. Interesting to know. Matter of fact, when we built that new gym at Dimmit, uh, we built a brand new high school, athletic facilities, uh, ag shops, everything, and we found one of Coach Cleveland's old contracts, and so his his signature is on the floor. Kenneth Cleveland Gymnasium. Oh, that's cool. So it was cool. It was good to do that for him. Nice to honor him, yeah, that yeah. way. Well, and that was um, – was that your first time that you've ever built a school? It was the first time I'd been involved in 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 ma- a major overhaul. They hired me because they were going to build a new school and they'd had some problems. And uh, But Demet was a great – Demet was a great school. Still is a great school. Great people there. We had some family in Demet. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of interesting that, you know, the, we went to Farwell where we had family – you coached in Demet where you had family. Idler was the one place that we really didn't have any no, immediate family. No, but Idler was a great school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Wheeler's a good school. Every school I've been at is a good school. River Road is even a good school. Good kids. Uh, so when were you at River Road? Cause, and when were you at River Road? See, Did I hired, just barely miss each other? I hired Phil I Wiggins. So. I, I hired Phil as head football coach. I was there 2014? I retired 2015. I retired that summer. Actually, they fired me. So. Yeah, um, Mike Chevrier, Chevrier became he was principal. Uh, the principal. Yeah, yeah. That's so just missed you. Yeah, barely. Hey, good place. All these, all these schools are good. Yeah, I don't and know. that's. I don't think I'd ever go to Crest, but that's okay. 
<laughs> that was uh, that was one thing that Kaylin and I talked about as we were because um, next thing I kind of like for us to talk about is how pointless my education at WT was great. I, I mean, I got a degree from there, but the majority of the education direct classes that I took just did not benefit me the way that a year in the classroom benefited me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like at least a good 30 to 40 hours just didn't. I mean, they may have given me some background information, provided me a little bit of schema, but it just, it was not as effective as just getting in the classroom or being around master teachers. Well, in like tech now, tech kids do like two years of student teaching at tech. They're That's what I heard. There's a new program that, that well, they're doing. My assistant at Claude, uh, Riley Kirkland, she's now coaching at Quanta. But, um, you know, she, she came out really prepared from tech. And, uh, of course, she's a coach, special ed teacher. Now she's going to start to get her degree in master's in psychology. But tech and LCU, of course, I hired teachers from both those universities, do a good job. WT does a good job. But, you know, guys, there, there's, there's something to be said. Some of the best teachers I ever hired were alternative certifications. Mm-hmm. You know, they got a degree in engineering from tech and married a Nazareth boy who's a farmer. You're not going to get an engineering degree, so you're going to go teach math. And now this one young lady... She texted me the other night and thanked me for helping her along the way and hiring her. Now she's going to be an assistant principal in Canyon. And, but, you know, she graduated from A&M. Uh, I had another teacher graduated from A&M, and she became a teacher, and now they're moved down south, and she's still teaching robotics classes and chemistry classes. But you get somebody that's been in the business world or has been a truck driver or something that's been around the block, mm-hmm. put those in your ag classes. Put them in your family consumer science classes, your English classes. Those guys can... In my opinion. I think that's really what kids need. Kids will identify with that more than they will somebody that just went straight to out of high school into college. Yeah, someone that has that real-life experience. Yes. It makes a difference. Those of you teachers that happen to be listening, if there are any, you know, you're 21 years old and you graduate college, you want to be a teacher, more power to you, baby. Get after it. Yeah. But today's kids are a little more complicated. I mean, when I was a principal, I was the principal at Demet. I was the high school principal. We had one counselor. Great lady, and I was the high school principal. Now they have a high school principal, same number of students. They have an assistant principal. They have a social worker. They have another type counselor that helps with special programs and a counselor. Well, now schools have all these different people. To, you know, they've got social workers assigned. They've got school psychologists on staff. But before, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the principal did all that and a counselor. Now they have all these specialists. Are they needed? I don't know. But uh, they're employed, so more power to them. I think kids just need, they need to see themselves in their teachers. And that's hard. Uh, again, I'm, I agree with you. It's nothing against someone that's fresh out of high school, into college, graduated 21, 22, and they get a teaching job. But it's hard unless you're in a specific population that just fits you as a teacher. It's hard for a kid to see that because you don't have any real experiences to bring to the kid outside of, oh, I just finished the same thing you're doing now, sitting down for eight yeah. hours a day and being instructed. Well, and there's also a difference between that teacher that teaches at Bowie yeah. or the teacher that's teaching at Windsor or the one that's teaching at East Ridge. Yeah. There's three different campuses. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that's, and, and, of course, Windsor's a great school. Her nieces and nephews went there. Um, but, you know, that, that's a completely, you know, you've got 27 different languages at East Ridge, something like that. Yeah. Or, and, yeah. and of those languages, several different dialects. I was a special ed assistant at um, Windsor for a school year. Then I went to Robert E. Lee. Yeah. And then... Uh, to um, Will Rogers, then to Bowie, and to Caprock. So I've been all over. But the one, the one type of student that I enjoy the most is the kids that come from the Title One communities. Oh yeah, every school I was at was a Title One school. Yeah. Those, are, those are the the schools I'd rather be at. 
because I'm, I am one of those kids that grew up in those type of environments, those communities. And, uh, I can relate really well with those kids. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the key to it all is finding a way to relate to the students. I was never, I, I, I'll still say this to this, to this day. I, I, I mean, I know good instructional strategies. I was never the best teacher, but I could build a relationship with my students and my students wanted to learn. And so whatever I was giving them, they wanted to learn. They were, it was authentic, uh, compliant. It wasn't forced compliance. It was authentic engagement. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what kids need is they just need, they need to feel love. They need to feel accepted in order to be successful. Kids need to be loved and respected. And they need discipline, period. And if you care about a kid, you're going to discipline them when they screw up. And you're going to show them they're up. But you're right. The relation, if a teacher doesn't develop a relationship because they're having to wear a mask or teaching behind a mm-hmm. shield or doing it over Zoom, once that relationship is not established, there's never good learning. So those of you people that are in charge, figure it out. Amen. I'm glad I'm not having to make that decision. Yeah, those decisions no. suck. And in today's world, <laughs> God, you guys yeah. are the ones that need to make those decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, are you being complicit because you're quiet and you're not saying what needs to be said because you're too afraid of your jobs? Not you two guys, but people are afraid, well, the administration's saying this and the State Board of Education saying this and the governors are saying this and we can't do this. Well, who's responsible for the person or the person that's been quiet and is, is allowing this to happen just because they're being complicit? See, and we had, I mean, it was, it was very obvious that our parents wanted in-person school because even when we offered virtual, we had something like 85% of our student population came to school. Mm-hmm. So clearly that's what the community wants. And, and I mean, I, 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 support, I support the decision on masks uh, that AISD has pushed out just because, I, I, I mean, it makes sense. If we have, if no one is wearing masks or if they're optional and there's a positive case because we have to follow Amarillo Public Health, then that class, anyone who's not wearing a mask is going to get quarantined and that takes kids out of the classroom. And so if we have to wear masks for a few more months to make sure that we can keep kids in and actually continue learning and I can, we can have professionals, people that are really good teachers teaching the kids this way, then we'll do that for the next few months. And then if things change, hopefully, hopefully we have a lot more vaccines in place. We have a lot more standard. I mean, we just we just get new information. Hopefully by August it'll go away. Yeah, it's got to be more than just. It, you're right. If you have to quarantine because you weren't wearing a mask and close contact and all this kind of stuff, that everything has to change. The health department, the way the people that are making the rules have to change things too, because it's just. Again, if you're over 21, take care of yourself. But y'all's responsibilities are with these young kids. And they need to be taken care of. Nothing against their parents, but they need y'all eight hours, seven and a half hours a day taking care of their kids mm-hmm. and teaching them the right way to do things. Not just learn English, not just learn algebra, not just learn biology, chemistry, Spanish, French, whatever. They need to learn the right way to study so they can be successful later in life. That's what your guys' jobs are. Did you have a second language class when you were in school? Yep. Did you take I, like French? I took Latin. Really? Wow. Yeah. At, At PD. How does that work? a dead language yeah it was offered at the time and it was easier than spanish in my opinion so i took it <laughs> james you want to be a doctor nah, <laughs> a doctor a scientist nah. growing up how's your yeah. handwriting <laughs> man that that class really was was tough there were some smart kids in there that i kind of sat next to yeah Let's nothing wrong that way I, that was one thing that i i was i was probably the most upset when we moved from farwell to idaloo is because in farwell if you took the three years of, of spanish sophomore junior senior year you went to spain 
Oh, man, that like, would have been awesome. Yeah, and so every single year, and so my brother went in his senior year, and he, uh, this dumbass, brought like a bought like a $130 sword. <laughs> he was so proud of that sword. I think he still has that thing. Uh, you know, but that was one that was one experience that I always thought was pretty cool. I mean, we you, we we took like a senior trip my my senior year. When we graduated, we went to a little dude ranch, and that was fun. But um, I mean, that was that would have been that would have been pretty cool. Be eighteen years old yeah. and get to go to get to go to Spain. We go overseas. That's that's incredible. I've never been overseas, so you need to go. You need you need to. There's a whole another world out there, guys. There's a whole another world. Go to the Caribbean. Go get get out. Nothing against the United States. I love this country, but there's a whole other world out there and a whole other culture and a whole other way to do things. And uh, the more you know, the better you are. Yeah. My dad was also uh, stationed in Germany in the 70s. Yeah. In the, in the Army. Where at? Do you remember? I can't remember where at. He was there for about a year and a half. But yeah, he, he was over there, and I have all the pictures from it. I mean, he, I wasn't born yet, but... Yeah. It was great. Germany, Europe, Europe. I wish uh, I could have experienced that. You're lucky. Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad I remembered some of it. Like, I remember going to, I don't know where the hell it was, but I remember going to see castles. We went to the New Schwanstein Castle, yeah. Disneyland Castle. Uh, yeah, Kingsley. and I remember I remember walking up the hill and just seeing, like, I, I don't know what kind of car they were, but just expensive, red, just beautiful-looking cars that are driving up. And, I mean, I couldn't have been but maybe two or three years old. Uh, I just have this, I mean... And, and seeing like the Disney castle and just seeing it. I mean, it was, it was just a different environment. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had close friends that were, um, that were, uh, I guess the husband or her, the, their father also served yeah. with you. Um, and you know, it was a little bit small knit community, but I, I, I do remember going out and doing things like with the landlady and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was just it, interesting. It's very interesting. I, and I remember vaguely and correct me if I'm wrong, vaguely having a mild accent, when Jared learned to when talk, came back. when Jared learned to talk, he would say instead of toast or ghost, he would say toast and ghost, because he learned to speak English with the Europeans. Mm-hmm. So when Jared learned to talk, he was around other Germans that, and when Germans spoke English, it had a British accent to an extent. Did you ever learn any German? No, I, I think I used to be able to count to like four. I mean, I can still count to four. Yeah. Uh, but no, there was never any 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 large language acquisition that was. Yeah, my, my kiddos have an Oma, and she's from Hamburg. Oh yeah. She she well, passed more. away a couple of years ago, but she uh, speaks fluent German. She moved uh, to the states when she was probably twenty two. Yeah. So she spent most of her, you know, young adult life there. I can still speak some German. I can understand it. And we just came back from checking on the home in, in Blanco, and so we went to Fredericksburg, and we have our favorite little German restaurant in Fredericksburg that still serves Jägerschnitzel and things just like we'd get in Europe. But uh, if you guys get a chance, take your families. Get out of the country, get a passport, get vaccinated, whatever you're supposed to do. <laughs> get yeah. vaccinated now. Is I got vaccinated leave. on Monday. Did you? You first got, did your it? first one? Did you get sick? I got the Johnson & Johnson single shot, and it made me sick. Yeah. Really? Made me really sick. Really? Yeah. My so, wife and I have had both. I got mine through the VA. Vicky got hers at the Civic Center. But in October of last year, we got COVID bad. I mean, I got it. I should have gone to the hospital, but people were dying in the hospital. So I had double yeah. pneumonia. There were conversations we had, like, why the hell are you not going to the hospital? And he yeah. said shit like, people are dying in the hospital. Why am I going to go to the hospital? I'd rather die at home. But, yeah, both, both we had the Moderna vaccines, and both of them made us sick for about 36 hours. Uh, the district offered uh, 100 vaccines on Monday. So I was like, man, I better go. So mm-hmm. I went up Good. there. Mm-hmm. And, man, it didn't hit me until 8 o'clock Monday night. Yeah. 
and I got it at noon, and I felt like I straight up had the flu. Yeah. 103 fever, chills, headache, couldn't, wouldn't go away. It was miserable. I couldn't go to work the next day. See, and I'm just, I'm just a lucky son of a bitch. You because I was exposed when you and Aaron had it. Mm-hmm. I was exposed when Joseph had it. I was exposed when my friend Billy had it. I've had both shots. I, I, I told last week when I had the other shot, when I had my second one, I, my stomach hurt for a little bit. I laid down, took a nap, like a 15-minute power nap, and I woke up and I was fine. And your brother's the only one that had a reaction at the Civic Center. Oh, he had a reaction? Tyler, yeah. For what? What was wrong with him? scared the needles and he nearly passed out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Emerald Fire Department, for taking care of my oldest son in the Civic Center. Tyler's the only person that had a reaction. <laughs> There's 100,000 vaccines being given in Marilla, 12,000 at the VA now, over 100,000 at the Civic Center. 100,000 at the Civic Center? 100, really? Wow. City of Emerald, I think, topped 100,000. Wow. Texas is top That's 10 impressive. Million. Wow. That's half our population. Yeah. Of course, they're flying people in from Mexico to take the vaccine now. Did you read well, that in the paper the other day? Uh-uh. Yeah. Some of, the, some, some of the more wealthy people are coming into Amarillo from overseas because they know they can get a vaccine. And there's plenty of it here. Hell yeah. Hey, my arm is still sore from Monday. Really? Yes. Felt like I got punched in the arm by freaking NFL defensive tackle. Might have hit the muscle. Screw me up. Might have hit the muscle. Yeah. Of course, if I'm behind that mask all day and I'm giving shots, every now and then I'm just going to say, screw you. Yeah. (laughs) See, and I liked out one of our our nurses, uh, she... Last summer, she and uh, all three of our nurses are amazing nurses, and they all three went and worked for Amarillo Public Health. Mm-hmm. And so when I went and got my first shot, she was actually working on a Saturday on one of her days off and, and gave me my first shot. And then the second one, I, I don't know who it was. Didn't you say uh, you felt a little funny after the second one, but it didn't really? Well, yeah, and it was just, it was. I mean, I, I think I got it at like 11, 12, and then by about three or four, I, my stomach kind of hurt a little bit. I was tired. And so I just laid down. And I'm I'm the type of person that if I take a nap, anything more than like 15, 20 minutes, and I feel worse than I felt before. Yeah. So I took my 15-minute power nap, woke up, and I was good because I was even planning on not recording that day. Yeah, uh, and, I remember that. And I was I was like, fuck it. I'll lay down take a nap. Dude, it, it fucked me up bad that the day after. I was in bed the whole day. Yeah. And I, I just hope it's it's – What's it, what's the word? Uh, efficacy. Oh, the efficacy of it. The last it, long time. Hope it, hope it continues to work. Yeah, I hope yeah. it does too. I can't imagine it not. I just I just hope it. But you know, this country's been through more through worse crap than this. Yeah, it's it's but it's been blown out of proportion by the media. Well, it became a political thing. Yeah, it, it became it became Everything a political it became a political football, and it's still being played as a football. Uh, it's still you're you're playing with people's lives, and again we keep getting the kids because you guys are educators, and I retired as an educator, and half my family's an educator. But uh, it, it's become more political, and it shouldn't be, and it's our fault. Because I guarantee you, if this was not political, and you went around, you told everyone, "Hey, there's this vaccine or there's this virus, and the easiest way to keep everybody safe is just wear a mask." Majority of the people would say, "Okay, cool." But it wasn't. It turned into a political game. It was well. The left is saying this, and the right is science. Not, I mean, it, it became it became something, a reason for people to argue instead of something for people to stand behind. And yep. that's yep. that's the environment that we live in today. Kids got to be six foot apart now. They can be three foot apart. Yeah. <laughs> Just make the rules up as you go. Yeah. Make the rules up. Yeah. And we become janitors. We clean constantly. Like yeah. We we have to wipe down tables. We have to do all these other things that never had to do before. And take time. Yeah, it takes I mean a they're lot of time. they're they're necessary. They're important. I understand that. But then, 
you know, some of that stuff we're supposed to let set for 10 minutes in order for it to disinfect. And so that takes time. That that It just cuts into content time. Cuts into teaching time. Yeah. And you guys have, what, 55-minute classes to begin with? Mm-hmm. God, that's barely enough time to do anything. Yeah these, yeah, these schools that have gone to eight, nine period days and they have 44-minute classes and three-minute passing periods and by the time you get roll called and you do all this and get kids settled down, you teach for maybe 32 minutes and parents saying they're in school eight hours a day, but they really only have about five and a half hours of instruction period because yeah. there's lunch, there's PE, there's music. Not that music's not instruction. Don't, don't be mad at me band teachers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's maybe four and a half, five hours of real instruction a day, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And you need to take advantage of it. But people are just... I think, I think, I think we're we're due some education reform on a large scale. I mean, the, I, I've always found it kind of industrial the way that we, the way that we still run our education system, you know, and, and especially now when we, you know, when we hear statistics like one in five kids are dyslexic and when we, we, we take in the fact of what is Amarillo's population. I think 63% of our kids are low socioeconomic, mm-hmm. you know, and I think just kids don't learn the same way that they used to our, our culture, our environment, the way that we're stimulated now, everything's different. The fact that we still expect kids to learn at eight hours a day behind in in a group of 20 kids as opposed to, I mean, you take a kid and you take them outside and you teach them something for 15, 20 minutes where they're active, where it's tactile. They're going to learn it more than an hour sitting there with you talking and explaining it to them. Yep. But it takes money. It takes money. It takes people actually buying into the research, which is sad. It's time to, and I'm old school and I'm 60 years old and, uh, I still think the 60s and 70s and were the best way to do things. But kids really haven't changed. The environment's changed, and so you have to adapt. Yeah. You have to adapt. Uh, STEM's a good idea. These alternative schools, the, the alternative programs, all these kind of different things that they're doing, so important. You, you've got to continue to adapt. Uh, I mean, if I'm a cop going into a gunfight, you know, I want a forty caliber with a 17-round magazine and two 17-round magazines on my hip. I don't want to go in there with a three fifty-seven with 18 rounds and have to load with a speed loader. Some guy shooting at me with an AR. So you have to adapt. Adapt or die. Yeah. Vote or die. <laughs> Vote or die. All right. Well, Dad, Steve Scott, thank you very much for joining us tonight hey, thanks on our for having podcast. Me. Uh, yeah, podcast. It, was, it was awesome. It was I wish awesome you guys. No, you guys are great. I, I wish you all the best and uh, and. Uh, I'm proud of my family. Real proud of my family. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much. I am Jared Scott. And I am James Fairchild. Thank you guys for listening to Bomb City Locker Room Talk Podcast, episode 47.